0: to the chain clankers podcast with your hosts quentin ferris and horatio gonzalez follow us on twitter and instagram at chain clankers welcome in everyone to the chain clankers podcast i'm your host quentin ferris here joined as always with horatio gonzalez we got a great episode for you guys today a little bit different What we've kind of been doing over the last month or so, we've been doing a whole lot of interviews, so we thought we wanted to at least take a week, kind of step away from that, and we're going to talk to you guys about some really interesting things that honestly before I even did any research for this episode, I truly had no idea uh, about how disc golf got started, the evolution of disc golf, the growth of disc golf, and what could potentially be the future for disc golf, that's kind of what we wanted to talk to you guys today uh, and I think it's really interesting, it's going to be a really fun listen, and I'm honestly super excited for the episode. Horatio, how are we doing today, and what are your thoughts on today's show?
1: I'm excited about today's, so I think it's a lot of information that maybe a lot of people didn't know, and maybe could get excited about the sport, and to help grow it, share it with other people, and something to when you go and talk to someone you don't know, and they ask you about it, you can tell them about how much it's growing, and how much the sport has grown in these last few years and then that way they don't think it's uh just a joke i know like a lot of people i tell when i play disc golf they laugh at me i'm like uh this is a pretty legit thing and it's only getting bigger so
0: yeah that's i mean i think you hit the nail on the head that's kind of what we want to have happen with today's episode we want to continue the trend of turning disc golf into something that is just a joke or you know oh you're just out there drinking or smoking or doing whatever you're doing and to this is actually a legitimate sport and this is something that is continuing to grow I mean we just had it on the CBS coverage and I imagine we'll get into that a little bit today as well so you know let's just go ahead let's start off with the history of disc golf I truly had no idea when disc golf started if you're not following us on Instagram you absolutely have to follow us on Instagram it's just at chain clankers got a lot of great info going up over there and we had a story up the other day it was when was the first game of disc golf now keyword in that sentence is the first game of disc golf the first game of disc golf was in 1927 tournaments and things like that didn't really start happening until the 60s or 70s but I was absolutely shocked 1927 Horatio can you believe that before the second world war really during (laughs) the depression people were out there clanking some damn chains well I think
1: one thing to keep in mind that is pretty crazy like 100 years ago But when it started, it was a very different sport than what we're used to now. They played more for targets. They didn't really have the chains and the basket that we're used to now. You'd go out there to a park or whatever, and you would score points based off of targets that you hit. So it could be a trash can, a fire hydrant, a pole, or whatever it was. And that's kind of how you were scoring. And that became a problem really quickly because if you're from far away, and you threw your disc and you thought it hit it and people disagreed with you. There was really no way to figure out if you actually hit that and scored
0: points or not, That, which is why the basket was created. Yeah, which is super interesting because it's really one of those things where it's like nowadays when you throw a disc and you hit like a tree, for example – I know my, one of the phrases I've started saying a whole lot is, oh, well, that disc is never going to fly the same, because it is true. As you beat in a disc, as you hit more objects with it, its flight will alter a little bit. But back in the day, that is what the goal was. The goal was to just randomly hit things. There weren't really even chains, like you were saying. There weren't really baskets. So it's super interesting how that just kind of changed into what it is today and really how that has affected disc golf overall and you know i kind of want to talk about how disc golf first kind of started up so the dga was founded in 1976 the sport was already moving quickly in there steady ed is pretty much known as the father of disc golf he installed the first official disc golf course at oak grove park in los angeles california the targets like we were talking about a little bit earlier they weren't they didn't have the chains and all that yet but they were were just merely permanent poles that were placed into the ground, and these poles were then later replaced with, uh, you know, other things such as baskets or you know, maybe a little wider of a pole or things like that. But there was an overwhelmingly successful tournament, the World Frisbee Championships in 1975, that really kind of propped disc golf up and made it something that was potentially about to become something really big. And that's really what happened, you know, because in the 70s, we saw a whole lot of Ultimate Frisbee, and that's really what people were watching. But this was the first time we saw, you know, disc golf on the world scale. Horatio, you want to talk a little bit about the impacts of that and maybe how that has transitioned us into a little bit of where we are today?
1: Yeah, so talking about championships and tournaments, I think that's one of the things that really legitimize the sports for a lot of people i know we were talking the other day about how a lot of the people we've interviewed every time we asked them about how they started playing or when they started playing so many of them have said 2016 i started playing disc golf in 2016 and so i went to go look on youtube and other places and just searched up disc golf 2016 and that was the um the championship where paul mcbeth and Waisaki, and they played in the pros uh in the champion us DG championship and the pro masters and it was like some of the really big championships that were aired and a lot of people first watched so I think that brought a huge massive new players to the game and I think it's continuing to do that and that's why they focus on airing these championships and tournaments on tv and Joe Mess. What they do for the sport is enormous. They're like completely changing the game. So I think back in the day, those championships that people played, people were like, wow, this is a really competitive sport. It's not just going out and playing with a bunch of guys and just goofing off, you know. It's a little more serious than that.
0: Yeah, and that was really the first time we saw it on a world scale and moving forward past that we really the big uh, so i guess the big association that at least i think is the most legitimate for disc golf right now is the pro disc golf tour um the pdga all those things so steady ed as they called him pretty much again the founder of disc golf he founded the professional disc golf association and in 1976 He sent out a letter to roughly 100 of the top players in the country, inviting them to join the PDGA. The cost would be about $10, which would be 45 in today's money for a lifetime membership. He then began directly selling memberships to the players at tournaments all over the country and this was really big in growing the sport and you know he was going around saying oh it's ten dollars a pop and you'll be in there for life and you know you see these guys like you know even paul mcbeth for example you know he's like I, and i'm just guessing i don't have it pulled up in front of me right now but like his pdga numbers like four forty thousand two hundred thirty seven you know imagine being one of those guys who had pdga number 23 you know that's something that's really really special and it's really cool to see those players who who have the smaller numbers it just shows. You know, how early on they were into disc golf. And a big thing that I think is not talked about a whole lot today that really helped legitimize disc golf in the seventies was the WAMO's fifty thousand disc golf tournament. And this was held in California. WAMO company was the sponsorship of this and the event had a $50,000 payout I mean that was just absolutely massive and I think it showed I mean obviously it was a massive success and you know it it was really really good for disc golf but to me it's one of those things where it shows that a corporate sponsor can really truly help disc golf continue to grow and at this point in disc golf I believe a corporate sponsor is going to be necessary for disc golf to have continued growth we saw how good it was in the 70s ratio. Do you agree with that statement that disc golf ultimately will need to pick up a corporate sponsor? For example, if you watched the Jomez coverage, you might have seen the videos where the first 24 hours was ad free because Arby's was sponsoring their video. Does disc golf need a corporate sponsor to come in to help further the game along into, you know, something closer to maybe professional golf on TV or just a professional sport in general on TV? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Absolutely. One of the articles that I was reading on just the growth and the change of the sport and how much it's growing it said, can it replace regular golf, ball golf? and the article was talking about at the rate it's going it could but it's going to have hurdles it's going to have challenges and for it to do so and to be able to overtake regular golf it talked about three things that uh, disc golf needed to have in order to make that next big step the first one was buy-in from public institutions the second one was greater media coverage and the last one was private money So that Arby's coverage and them sponsoring that 24 hours of Joe Mass, that's kind of like that first initial of private money. Coming in from corporations, they see how popular the sport is getting, they see what it can be, and they're starting to invest. They're going to see how it goes. They're going to see if they can get a return on their money. So I think after other companies see people like Arby's, it's like a competitive thing. They're going to say, well, why aren't we sponsoring these tournaments or why aren't we doing anything If there's some chance of getting a return on our money because it's all about money for big corporations so I think once we see a lot more companies that's gonna kind of be that that flip where the game is just gonna absolutely take off and because the other two the media coverage and public institutions I mean when we went to Emporia we saw one of the high schools they had a 18 hole on their campus and So when, they can, when schools and colleges start to have courses or they start to teach disc golf as a part of the sport, um, that's going to really take off. Also, it's going to grow an entire new generation of players from middle school and continue to grow the sport that way. And then media coverage, I mean, Joe Mess right now is kind of... You have GQ Productions and you have uh, a couple other pages on YouTube who... Uh, cover tournaments, but Joe Mess is absolutely dominating the arena for that, and being on CBS was a huge, huge uh, moment for disc golf, so I think all of those things, we're starting to kind of see them really kind of come together, and I think that is a good sign of where the sport is going.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I agree with the fact that disc golf is going to need that corporate sponsor. I mean, could you imagine if somebody like Nike dropped in, and let's say they throw a million dollars into disc golf right now, that would A, allow professional disc golfers, you know, not just Paul McBeth, Ricky Wysocki, Kevin Jones, not just those massive big name guys, that would allow guys like, for example, some folk who we've interviewed before, Thomas Gilbert, Logan Harpool, uh, those guys and other guys like them to be able to be on tour, be able to be professional disc golfers, and be able to have success in the sport much more than without that core sponsor It means there's higher payouts. You're not living out of your van. You can, you can still travel, live in your van traveling if you want to do that, but you're not struggling and thinking, where the hell am I going to get my, my next check from? If I don't p- play good in this tournament and there's not another tournament for two weeks, what am I going to do? A corporate sponsor would alleviate that pressure and would make disc golf so much more. It would allow for companies to be able to sponsor more players, I believe, as well. I mean, Paul McBeth has the highest contract in disc golf in I want to say it's around a million dollars for four years compare that to literally any other sport and that's chump change I mean that's not very good so I do believe that disc golf really does need that but kind of moving along a little bit in the history you know really from the 80s we just saw disc golf continuing to grow uh, ratings was introduced in the 90s I believe and that really kind of changed things as well and you know the world champion world championships coming around that massively helped disc golf's growth but talking about the history of disc golf and the growth I think it's very Important to look at that 2016 that Horatio, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, at 2015, there was about 30,000 members, but at the end of 2016, there was about 87,000 members. So there was a massive growth around there. And you know, you talked a little bit already about potentially why that was. So I don't want to delve too much further, but what I want to talk about instead is the active members 10 years prior to that. In 2005, the active members was only 9,600. So in a decade, we saw a massive growth and we'll get into it a little bit later. I don't want to talk about it just yet, but we've got some ideas for maybe why that growth will happen again going into the next decade throughout the 20s this century but also looking at the events from 1999 to 2015 in 99 there were 335 disc golf events going on but in 2015 there was almost 2600 events that's a massive change in 15 16 years And the more events allows there to be more competition more disc golfers playing uh, more opportunity for those corporate sponsors to come in and those kinds of things so I think it's really really critical And so now where we're at, we're at a really special place, in my opinion. We're at a place where disc golf is still very young. It's almost trying to stand up on two feet and walk and run for the first time in its life if you want to compare it to a child. But I think that right now, if... I don't want to continue to say, but if if they get the corporate sponsor, that's going to be critical. But I think there's a couple other things that would make disc golf a little bit better for the mainstream and how we can evolve it into becoming something that is maybe more watched than ball golf. And something that I want to sit down here is the major disc golf events. So these really big tournaments that if you've never really looked before you probably wouldn't know about it i know i didn't really necessarily know about it also but so next year in 2021 we've got the schedule for most of them it looks like the only thing that is not scheduled yet is the national championship so for 2021 the big major events for we've got the first one is the united states women's disc golf championship then we've got the amateur disc golf championship and the first one is in late may that second one is in early june late june we've got the professional disc golf world championships now this is really interesting that the world championships is happening in june but listen to everything that's after that the european open is july 14th through the 18th the professional disc golf world championships are june 22nd through the 26th the masters disc golf world championships is third through the seventh that doesn't really matter a whole lot for the guys that we're watching on tv but we see the usdgc in october october 6th through the 8th so to me that's one of those things where why is the world championships being held in early june and then the united states championship in early october you know what i mean because Me still being someone who's very new to the sport, only been in the sport for about six months, but it doesn't make much sense to me to have the world championships in the middle of June. And then have the United States Championship at the end of October. I believe that that should not necessarily be inverse, but we should continue to push back those big tournaments, those majors, as you would call them, to later on in the year. Because if I'm a disc golfer and I am playing at the World Championships in, in late June and, and I do really well what's really the point after that? You know what I mean? Like, okay, the European Open's there. Okay, the United States Championship is there. But in my opinion, the World Championship is the number one thing in disc golf. That's the number one thing you're working towards. In every other sport, there's almost like a certain order in them. Except maybe for ball golf, but the thing that ball golf has, in my opinion, is that they have those majors. They have defined majors. You know, the the GBO, is that a defined major? Is the Waco Invitational, is that a major? Is, you know, the Ledgestone, is that a major? What, what are those? Are those just tour, I guess tournaments you know what i mean i think disc golf the big argument that i'm trying to make here is i think disc golf needs to move to having majors like the like the ball golf has and you know they've got the masters they've got the u.s championships they've got the european open they've got um the PDGA or the PGA championship. Uh, so I think that disc golf needs to have something along those lines where they, where they have like six or seven majors or, you know, we know what they are and they're going in order to that October time frame being the world championships. And that's when it's over, in my opinion, because the world championships, in my opinion, should be the last tournament in disc golf ratio i know i just spoke for a long time hopefully everyone's still listening and they were able to follow that argument talk to me about what what are your thoughts on that do you agree with my take there that the world championship should be moved back we should have more defined majors in disc golf and that would actually help legitimize the sport and evolve it and take it to the next level
1: is that the june one is that usually when it is or is is that maybe have something to do with covid and then it having to be pushed back some. Uh, I'm looking at it right now, and I guess it's it's July, 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 September, August. So they, it looks like they change it up some, but it's usually in that late summer, early fall. And I wonder if that just has something to do with the weather and whether that's maybe like when the best, since it's a world championship, when maybe that's when it's the best for everyone on doesn't matter what time zone you are. And when people are able to get together as far as their schedules, people coming from Europe, Japan, wherever they come and play, if maybe that's just the ideal weather for the World Championships, that's kind of the only thing I can think of. But I see what you're saying as to why you would have a World Championship at the beginning and then play out the rest of the season, I guess. It's it's kind of weird. But I think when they go on Pro Tour, that's kind of of their – Um, majors like you were talking about or the events that they have prior to the Worlds because right now they're playing the Pro Tour events and so those are kind of taking titles here and there and then they're building it up to the United States Championship and then eventually they would go into the Worlds Championship but yeah that's pretty pretty interesting and I don't know why that is exactly but um, I think that would definitely help because you build up you build up the drama of it and the excitement. People get to see the, their favorite players throughout the season. And then you get to see who comes to the world as opposed to seeing it at the very beginning. And then,
0: Yeah, like I, with- I mean, I completely agree with you. I think that, it, it, that build-up will make it matter more. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I truly could not tell you what the pro tour points mean. You know what I mean? Like, I know they have to do with seeding for, I think it's the USDGC, but I genuinely think that the Pro Tour points do not matter. They have really no effect on anything that, I guess, is so major. So I think that, you know, in ball golf, you see the actual points that they're earning matter towards uh, their tournaments. So I think that, I don't know, maybe the points mattering more, but I, I really do think uh, that Moving the World Championship back later in the year, having some sort of buildup, having some sort of drama, having some battles would make it significantly better. Because to me, as a player, I would not be interested in you know getting hyped. You know, let's say you spend two weeks if you're Paul McBeth, you spend two weeks in the middle of June preparing for this World Championship. How do you mentally then lock back in to the deglo? two weeks after the World Championships. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just seems like such a big letdown in my opinion that I feel like moving that around a little bit could make it easier. And really where I want to go with this whole massive conversation that we're having right now about moving this is that the CBS coverage that we got for the restart of the Disc Golf Pro Tour this year, I think that moving the Worlds later on Making more majors and making them very defined in what they are allows for companies like CBS, ESPN, Fox Sports, whomever, to pick up disc golf and be able to display it better, in my opinion. Because if you've got the World Championships in June, but then you've got the European Open in July, isn't the world championships more important i don't know maybe maybe i'm just stuck on a tangent on dates and and it really is just more about you know hey the weather is better here so you know this is when we're going to play the the tournament but i guess what where i want to move the conversation to is what are your thoughts on cbs potentially picking up disc golf more there's rumors that they could be doing more tournaments in 2021 what do you think the impact is of cbs picking up disc golf what do you think needs to happen for more casual fans to watch that CBS coverage to get into disc golf, I guess. I
1: think it's really cool. I don't know if it needs to be CBS or whoever. I think it's um, really uh, important for disc golf to be on that main level where people who maybe don't go and play, who just want to watch it. Like just because, um it's on national television or whatever like it doesn't need to be just for spectators who go and play the sport how many people that watch football go and play football during the week or on the weekend
0: no i don't probably
1: 90 percent of the people or less that watch football do not go play football and how big is that sport how much money do they bring in every year Nobody plays. Yeah, and that's one cool thing about disc golf is you can play it during the week on the weekend and Go watch it on the weekend or day after from Jomez or if it's on television You can play it and you can go watch it and be like wow How are they so good? How are they watch the players and like it's amazing because you go out there during the week or on the weekend and you try to do it and you see how difficult it actually is but I think that's why it's really cool for CBS to pick it, pick it up and show it to people because a lot of people were just needing any kind of sports. There was nothing on ESPN. And so it was like perfect timing because people that just want to watch competitive sports were able to tune in and check it out and to see this whole new sport, which then, because it's not as demanding on your body as a sport, you could then go and play. And so I think that's going to be one thing that is going to grow the sport even faster is people that don't really play sports and who watch it on TV and see it on national television and discover it for the first time are going to go and try it. So I think that will be really important, but I don't think it needs to be CBS. I know people were complaining about Joe Mess doing that with CBS. That was like some comments I saw, and they're like, why are you guys doing this? You guys are successful because you started on YouTube. You need to focus on being a YouTube um, streaming company, basically. But you have to do other things to grow. Like You can't just be stuck in the same path. Otherwise, you're not going to grow.
0: No, I completely agree. And I I do think that getting disc golf on TV will be more beneficial than just having it on TV. The Pro Tour, where you can watch live, or Jomez, because Jomez is doing something that's incredible, right? But how long is that going to be sustainable to the point where disc golf actually becomes legitimized? Because I think that's kind of been the overarching topic of this episode is, you know, how does disc golf get legitimized? You know, the, the history of it a little bit, the evolution, where we are now and i think that getting it on tv getting it in front of more people is what's going to allow for that the quickest because you know joe joe shuck over there could be like oh well disc golf's for hippies blah 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 you know you're you're just out there doing it so you you know blah 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 disc golf's not sport blah 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 but you see it on tv automatically it's more legitimate in your head And then you were like you were saying, you can sit down, you can watch people play disc golf on TV and be like, how the heck do they do that? I want to be able to do that and then go out and play. Because in my opinion, the top sports that people go out and play are basketball, I guess regular ball golf. And then either soccer or disc golf, in my opinion. I think that's the main sports that people will watch on TV and then they'll go out and play. But basketball is easy because you can literally just have one person, you know, you can just be shooting hoops, like whatever. Uh, Ball golf, you know, a lot similar to disc golf. And we'll have a future episode on this about if disc golf should ever become pay to play. I've definitely got some strong opinions on that. I I know you've got some opinions on that as well. Um, but those two, you see a lot of people play, and then soccer as well, just because of how uh, big it is overall in the world. And you know, you uh, again, one person can go out and just shoot and play if they want. Um, so really, it's one of those things where I think getting it on TV more allows it to be more legitimized. If you agree with me on that. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, uh, even Facebook, at at Chain Clankers. Let us know your thoughts. Do you agree that getting it on TV will make disc golf more legitimate, will make more people look at disc golf as something that is a growing sport? Because I think that's kind of the big hurdle in people's minds that – Once that happens, I mean, disc golf can just absolutely take off, in my opinion. And I've been saving this. I I talked about it a little bit earlier. I've been saving this. But the whole COVID impact, I think, is the other big reason why disc golf is going to become more legitimized. Because you literally look at all the companies. They are selling out things very, very quickly. I mean, literally, for example, by the time you're listening to this, you're probably not going to be able to get a first-run Hades anywhere on the interweb. Not going to be able to happen. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the Paul Macbeth Hades, the prototype, they came out with the first official run for it. It's no longer the prototype. It is the actual Hades. Uh, I know Horatio got one. I got one. So it's going to be pretty sick. We're definitely going to have to do a YouTube video on it for sure. But that's sold out. Cloudbreaker sold out in three minutes. The, um, there's another big disc that's sold out really quick. That is losing my mind. Uh, the mystery boxes from Discmania sold out very quick. If you listen to uh, the Disc Golf Answer Man by Dynamic Discs, their podcast, they talk about how they their warehouse, which is massive, by the way, is very low on plastic because it just continues to sell and sell and sell and sell. And I know when I would go to disc golf shops, they would barely have anything there because people would continue to go out and buy. Because during COVID, one of the only things that you could do is go out and play disc golf. So more people are out playing disc golf now than probably ever before. So I think that's really key into legitimizing the sport getting more people out there playing selling more plastic because if those three things can happen then I think disc golf is going to turn into something that is I mean when you drive by and you see a disc golf tournament people are gonna be like oh dang wow that's really cool instead of what why are there so many people at the park today you know what I mean does, does that make sense what, what are your thoughts on that Horatio what do you think the, the big COVID impact is for disc golf and maybe how that affects the future
1: yeah, I think all of that is really good points. and I think. But one thing to keep in mind, and I was reading about is there was an influx of players and people because it was one of the few things that you could go outside and do, which even a lot of television networks, I know our local TV station did an interview with a couple, a couple of the local pros and stuff about disc golf because they were noticing how many people were playing. And they did one in Emporia, Kansas with Dynamic and a couple other places, which because the, gr- the sport was growing so much because everything was locked down and people were going out and playing, like you were talking about. But same with everything being locked down, one of the things that were shut down were the factories. So a lot of the, the disc manufacturers had to shut down production for a while because of COVID. They were, they were uh, having to give their workers to stay home to, to quarantine and to just shut down for a period of time when the entire country was shut down in other places. So they were not able to make discs at all for a few weeks, some of them for a couple of months. So you have that, not being able to make discs and manufacture anything for a few weeks or a couple of months. And then you have this huge influx of players wanting to play and to do something outside because everything is shut down. And it just created the perfect bubble to burst at the right time. But now that everything is back on track, they're still not being able to keep up with demand. Innova and other companies had to grow their factories and get more machines to be able to produce more discs. And so it did not help it having to be shut down. Um, But the amount of new players was just huge. And I'm very interested to see what the PDGA number for like next year will be at the end of next year like, what that number will be. Like, if we... Because we haven't gotten ours yet. And if we wait, like, maybe we'll be like... I don't know, because what are they at right now? 800,000? No. Um,
0: I, I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. Let me see if I can't maybe look that up real quick. I know... Let's see here. I know it was something at least in the... 87 thousands I think is what we saw in 2016 um but regardless I mean I think I'll probably end up getting my PDGA number this up in what would that be 2021 I imagine because I'll be able to actually play more I'll be out of college I'll be able to play more tournaments so I think it'll be much more valuable for me to get it then um but real quick I want to get out of here on this very last thing what do you think the percentage of people will be that tried disc golf during quarantine. What do you think that percentage of people will be that continue to play disc golf post quarantine or, you know, post all of this COVID stuff because there are reports that a vaccine will be ready in November, maybe a little bit after that do you think that it's going to be a high percentage? Because I think it's one of those things where, you know, you do it for a little bit, it's fun, and then it's kind of like, well, now I can go do a bunch of other things, but I really did enjoy doing this. I know I know you started playing during quarantine. I, I started to get back into it during quarantine. I know a couple other people, same thing. I think that number's going to be, I want to say, I'm going to be positive. I want to say that number's going to be about 65%. So 65 out of every 100 people who picked up disc golf during quarantine is going to continue to play disc golf for you know for however long for the next couple of years or they'll just continue to play disc golf. That I think that's the number that I'm going to go with. I think 65% is a pretty good number. What 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 do you think your number is?
1: I think mine would be even higher than that. I think I would say closer to um, 80%, maybe, and I would do it on a smaller scale to understand. Maybe out of every every 10 people that is introduced to the sport this year, at least eight of those will continue to go on and play by themselves or play continue to play. Cause I'm really glad you asked that because I was going to talk about how every single person that I have introduced to the sport since I started playing has continued to play. They've gone out and bought their own discs. I've gone out with them to help them out buy their own discs. They continue to go play with me week after week. They've introduced other people to it. Their significant others. And they're continuing to go and play, and they want to continue to go and play. But pretty much every person I've taken out wants to continue playing. And then if they bring out another three or four people, and even just three of those continue to play, that's where the sport's going to get really huge. And I think a lot of it, it's going to be like... Quarantine and COVID helped um, a lot of people discover it and helped a lot of people find the sport. But I think now it's going to be... People are between TV, YouTube, and friends about hearing about it. It's just going to continue to grow because of the, the younger generation of the people who need stuff to do, who financially are not as well off as their parents or grandparents were when golf started and golf started taking off. Golf is expensive. Like, I'll ask people that play golf or say, golf is a lot, be- regular golf is so much better than disc golf. And then I ask them how many times they've played this year. And they'll be like, oh, I've gone out to play two or three times. And they're happy with that. Which is fine, but I want to get good at something. I want to go at least once a week or more than that. But when it's so expensive, you can't do that. And a lot of people that go, yeah, I'm going to go with my buddies and play around. It's usually them by themselves or a couple of friends. Disc golf, every time I go to a course, I see an entire family out there. Which is sometimes annoying. But I'm glad they're (laughs) out there with their kids. But this is a family sport. You can take your kids out there. You can go spend an evening with your family. It's not, oh, I'm getting off on the weekend. I'm going to go get away from the fam. You can go spend time with your family, which is better, I think, than just having to, you know, run away from
0: your family or whatnot. Like, that's... No, I agree. I That's other issues. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that one. And another note that I just wanted to make on that before we get out of here is just that I thought that was really interesting about how you know more younger people are getting into it and you know you know there are definitely debates to be had about that you know the younger folk are, are let are worse off now than their parents and grandparents are left off uh, and you It is free for now, except, you know, buying the discs and stuff like that. And you said, you know, some some guys who play ball golf go two or three times a year. I mean, we go damn near two or three times a week or something like that to go go and clank chains. So that's really important. And I also think, and I don't want to get too political, but I do think something that's important also is that this is a very green sport. This is something that is very, I mean, this is the best sport that you can have for the environment because the ability to make a disc golf course you can just go put some chains in a park you can just go put some chains in the woods yeah sure maybe you carve out just a little bit but that's so much better for the environment than completely wiping it out and putting up like a basketball court for example or you know a tennis court or something like that like so so I think disc golf is also very good in that aspect that it is good for the environment gets people outdoors it brings people together and I do think that, you know, like you said, a lot of the people that you've taken out, I've taken a couple of buddies out as well, and they've, you know, kind of sort of gotten into it as well. I think that is going to be what continues to grow the sport, continues to legitimize it, and more and more people will play because, I mean, literally look at our significant others. Never in a thousand years would have I have ever expected my girlfriend to go out and play in love disc golf, and she does and that is something that we get to spend two or three nights a week being able to do, being able to get away from everything, turn our phones off, just be with each other, and just, you know, play. So I think that that's really helpful, and and I do think that disc golf is uh, going to continue to grow, and I think it's only going to continue to get more legitimate, and hopefully this episode has brought to light some of the things that are doing that. Horatio, do you have anything else that you want to get out before we wrap today's show up? Not really. I
1: mean, uh, just like... Comparing it to their environmental, I think that's going to be a huge factor. Global warming. Our generation cares about that. The younger generations care about that. A few things I was like reading about was just to make a regular ball golf course, uh, which I love saying bog golf because it makes <laughs> golf players so mad. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. not bog golf. It's just golf. Uh, so I just I love saying it. <laughs> um, but you need six times more land to make a bog golf course as opposed to a disc golf course you need some courses they they did uh studies on and you need up to a million gallons of water to keep a golf course green and pretty for the summer period and with global warming stuff getting warmer you are only gonna need even more and more water so i think those are two huge factors that people are going to see i know two of the courses that were just um that are there some of the younger courses here in my town wichita uh, one of them, you go out to it and it seems kind of boring because it's pretty open, but literally they've planted over 200 trees probably because in 10, 15 years, those trees are going to be huge and that, that disc golf course is going to be a ton of fun because there's going to be a bunch of tunnels, a bunch of cool shots, but as compared to a regular ball course where you have to clear out a field to make fairways and whatnot... This course, they are putting in trees. And so I think that's really cool. Uh,
0: Yeah. That's all I got. I completely agree with you on that. And I really thought that that was an interesting last note you had. I I can't remember the exact number, but I I heard it somewhere that I'm pretty sure like three ball golf courses were close. Or excuse me, three disc golf courses were opening comparatively to – I think ah, I'm definitely butchering this right now, but pretty much what I'm trying to say is there's a statistic out there that I'll try to find and I'll put it on Instagram or something like that where there's more disc golf courses being made and comparatively to ball golf and ball golf courses, instead of more being made, they're actually closing more down because of some of those environmental impacts, people not willing to play, other things like that. So I think that's really interesting. But that is going to wrap up today's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. This was a little bit different than what we've done in the past. And hopefully you did like it. If there's some things that maybe you did like, let us know on Instagram at Chain Clankers. If there's some things you didn't like, let us know. Let us know how we can get better. We always want to get better. We always want to improve just like we want to improve improve our game uh if you have any feedback and you're listening on apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate any ratings and reviews let us know some topics that you want to see us cover uh we got a ton of great shows lined up for you super excited for them. but that is going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode thank you guys so much for listening for horatio i'm quentin let's go and roll that music so, yeah. thank you for listening to the chain clankers podcast make sure you follow us on twitter and instagram at chain clankers and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from so you never miss another episode